Well, good morning. My name is Jane Dorman, and I serve here at White Oak on our teaching team, and I am so thrilled to be back with you again today to launch our new sermon series, Seeking, where we are going to learn alongside each other what it means to tune into the heart of God through spiritual disciplines. It's going to be so good. And before we dive in, I do want to remind us the foundation we've been laying throughout this whole year. We started off the year learning about God's sovereignty. And when we say that God is sovereign, we are claiming that God is all-powerful. He is in control, and he has full supremacy, and nothing can change that. Then we'll fast forward to the summer. We did a deep dive into the spiritual... uh, Fruits, fruits of the spirit, where we examine what it looks like to develop in our spiritual maturity. When we give God space to move in our heart, in our soul, in our minds, we begin to produce the fruits of his character despite the ongoing experiencing that battle that we have with the flesh. And today, we begin this incredible journey. It's a journey I've been personally on myself where we will examine what it looks like to pursue God through spiritual discipline. Now, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so he can transform us. We're not talking about legalistic practices that makes us holier than thou. The disciplines we're looking at these next six weeks are going to lead us deeper into the heart of God. Grace is free. But if we want to grow in that grace and experience full life, we must choose to put these disciplines into action. These disciplines are a road that leads to inner transformation and healing that we long for. No matter how long you have lived on this earth, you felt it, the hollowness that life is. Even when we experience the joys and the highs of life, those moments are fleeting, leaving us to yearn and want more, something to fill this emptiness that's in our hearts. No earthly high in this life can sustain that. God's blessings will transform us as we walk this path and we reconstruct us so that we bear the image of Christ more fully to a broken world. The path, these spiritual disciplines, that's not what produces the change. The path puts us in the space where transformation happens. So throughout this series, we want you to consider this question. What is God doing in you so that he can do something through you. And today, we're kicking things off with prayer. Now, prayer is a monstrous subject to fit into 25 minutes, but um, you know, a lot of us, we're pretty familiar with prayer. Prayer's foundational to the spiritual disciplines. It ushers us into the holy presence of God. And you know what? Growing up in the church, I was always taught that Christians needed to do two things in order to grow. We even had a song about it. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, 
grow. My Baptist roots are coming out here <laughs> this morning. But I mean, maybe, you know, as a, as a kid, I would hear this song and I would be taught on the discipline of prayer and it was just so overwhelming to me. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I remember laying in bed at night you know, engaging with God or attempting to, and it usually ended up sounding something like this, like, um, okay, dear God, um, well, thank you for today. And, uh, well, you know, I love you. And, um, you know, uh, bless my family. And I guess, you know, include my aunts and uncles and cousins in that. And, and you know what? Um, bless all the animals, too. And, um, you know, while we're at it, just everyone in the world, just bless them, bless them all. And, and by the way, if you could just coordinate that divine meeting with Jonathan Taylor Thomas so we could just start our family together, that would be great. Amen. I mean, right? We get that. What can I say? The heart wants what it wants, guys. God had a better plan. But maybe we could relate to most of this prayer, but a lot of us have this misconception of what real prayer is. I know I have. We enter into prayer with this laundry list of needs, wants, desires. We pray for hard things to be removed from our life. We pray to cultivate gratitude, or, or we even pray liturgies or scripted prayers because they seem to be more eloquent than anything that we could ever come up with. A lot of these are good things to add to our prayer life. But friends, I want to shift our perspective this morning on the purpose of prayer. And so today, our big idea is this. Time in prayer is time with God that transforms me. Time in prayer is time with God that transforms me. Prayer guides us into perpetual communion with God. When we are constantly interacting with God through prayer, we're allowing our inner selves to be exposed by the light of Christ Real transformational prayer reveals, restores, renews, and refines us as we allow God to purify our hearts so that they look more like his. And when we pursue God in prayer with this in mind and we align with him, our thoughts start to change. We start desiring what he desires. We love things that he loves. We will things that he wills. And we develop a God point of view because time in prayer is time with God that transforms me. So how many times have we approached our time in prayer and we're frustrated because it seems like God's just not moving? And I can honestly say there have been moments in my life when that's happened. I didn't really want to participate in prayer because it felt like a waste of time. The prayers that would go to unanswered seemed to outweigh the times I would see God's movement. I was confused. I was frustrated by the silence of God. And frankly, it always felt like we were on different pages and God was too stubborn to get on mine. All the while, I had friends who thrived in their prayer life. They loved it. They found such joy in it. And I was constantly wondering what I was missing. There was a disconnect in my understanding that only God's grace and his mercy and his patience could remedy. And my friends, that thing was humility. There's this thing about us humans. We want control. 
And the more we strive for this control and we tighten our grip on things, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, we become tired and weary striving in our own strength. When we choose to follow Jesus, we're being invited into a totally different life. We are called to surrender our control. We are called to surrender our pride and submit to the Father. And that just does not come naturally for us. Yet when we supernaturally surrender and submit ourselves to God in prayer, we come to understand that humility is the starting point of heart transformation. Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example of this. And we are going to be reading together a pivotal scene found in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, if you want to follow along. Jesus had just finished the Last Supper with his disciples, and he took Peter, James, and John alongside him to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where we meet Jesus in this scene, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you just watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. And then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus is humility in action. Jesus could have spent his last night on earth at anywhere he wanted to, yet he chose to spend it in an olive grove called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means to crush, which is indicative of the way Olive oil is processed, and we're going to just do a little deep dive here into olives, if you'll humor me for a second. But when olives are harvested, they are hard, and they have that hard, solid pit in the middle. And they would be put through a stone mill that would roll over it and crush the oil out. It would put tons of pressure of that sweet, buttery oil coming out of the olive. And an interesting thing about the process of processing olive oil is the olives go through three through the mill three times. The first time is when we get that thing called extra virgin olive oil. It is so good. You dip your bread in it. It's good on its own. You can use it for cooking. It's great. The second time, it's still consumable. Not as great as the first process, but it's still good for cooking. But then there's that third time, and it wrings out the last little bits of the oil out of the olive, and it's bitter. 
and it's used mostly for things like oil and lamps, for lamp illuminations, for soaps, for lotions. You know, it's not consumable, but we can still use it. And why am I telling you all this? <laughs> because the context of the setting highlights the narrative. It sets the tone, because one of the more significant aspects of the olive is its healing properties. Olives must pass through a press where they writhe and they wrestle under pressure to produce the oil that feeds, that illuminates, and heals. Likewise, Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, was pressed. The garden in Genesis 3 where sin entered into the world to destroy life leads us to the garden in Matthew 26 where Jesus entered and restored life. Jesus was literally being crushed by the weight of the sin of the world. He begged his father how many times? Three times. Asking God to take this cup from him and the cup he's referring to is the wrath of God that he would endure alone so that we wouldn't have to endure it ourselves. Jesus was under pressure. And in other gospels, it says in this scene that Jesus was so crushed, he started sweating blood, the salve that heals our broken hearts. In humility, Jesus submits to God's will. He doesn't try to manipulate God. He doesn't demand God to remove his suffering. No, no. Jesus prays through his suffering. And while we will never experience the suffering on the scale Jesus experienced, he is still our example of what it looks like to fully surrender with humility in prayer. Prayer protects us from the temptation to fall into the trap of our own desires. When we're troubled, when we are weary, sorrowful, overall struggling, Jesus reminds us through his example that we need to seek God first in all things so he can humble our hearts so we can abide in him more fully. Because remember, time in prayer is time with God that transforms me. I mean, I love Jesus. He has such an urgency when it comes to prayer. It's something he demonstrated throughout his entire ministry. Yet in the midst of Jesus' suffering in this scene, where are his disciples? They're taking a nap. They're unable to stay awake, and they can't, I can't help but think how we are just like them. Jesus, knowing his betrayal, was at hand, chose perpetual communion with God while his disciples succumbed to the frailty of their flesh. And Jesus rebukes Peter, James, and John, and he says, wake up, watch, pray. Friends, are we awake? Are we watching? Are we praying? What is God doing in you? so he can do something through you. Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's warning us of the danger of a life lived in our own strength, not fully dependent on God. Because let's be honest, Jesus knew his destiny. He knew what was coming. 
But earlier in this text, Jesus says to Peter that you're going to deny me three times. And Peter just like was like, dude, no, I'm, I'm never, I would never deny you. But Jesus knew. He was challenging him. It says in the Gospels, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that is what happens immediately after this scene where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm sure it hurt Peter to hear these words from Jesus, but Jesus knew the dangers of a life lived through complacent prayers. And when we don't learn to cultivate a practice of prayer in our daily life, we're incapable of building his kingdom here on earth. Jesus is the embodiment of kingdom living, which is countercultural to what we are taught by this world and our culture. That's why we need to more than ever attach ourselves to him. Prayer reminds us that when we choose to go all in and follow Jesus, we're entering into a partnership. My life is no longer about what I want. It's no longer about me. It's all about what God is already doing and where he is inviting me to work alongside him. In the beginning of his ministry, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray like he did. And we, we have an outline from um, the book of Matthew, if we can put that up on the screen. This here, it's the Lord's Prayer. We're all pretty familiar with it. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I want you to take a look at this. And I want to ask you, have you ever considered the intentionality of the word order Jesus chooses in this outline. First is your name, your kingdom, your will. And then it's give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. When I look at this, you know what I see? I see Jesus calling us to a reprioritization of our hearts. Because the hard truth that we need to grasp as Jesus followers is that saying yes to Jesus means we are saying no to our fleshly desires. We are called to a daily death, a daily denial of ourselves so that we can pursue a transformed life led by the Spirit. And when we do this, we take the focus off of ourselves and we focus on God. This shift in perspective reminds us that God is the one who's at work moving his kingdom forward on earth. And we're invited to join him in the process. This perpetual communion is an act that aligns our hearts because we are training our heart, our mind, and our souls to abide in Jesus. The spiritual discipline of prayer teaches the humility that is required to be in complete surrender to the will of God. And when we reach that point of surrender, God's will and our desire becomes one because our hearts are in complete alignment. True transformation begins with humility, and humility is cultivated in prayer. And prayer restores, renews, and realigns our hearts to obey the one who calls us forward to make kingdom impact in the world around us. Remember, time and prayer is time with God. 
that transforms me. And as we go into this week and we learn how to cultivate this practice of prayer in our daily lives, I want to challenge us to consider three things to kind of help us in our thought process and launching us into perpetual communion with God, you know, give you some practical steps here. So number one, it's probably most important, is find a where and a when for prayer. Like any habit you need to approach with intention, that means you need to pull your calendars out and make a daily appointment with God, even if it's just five minutes. You also need to pick a place to pray. Jesus always found a place to pray. Context sets the tone. And what do I mean by this? Wherever we choose to pray, it becomes holy ground. I pray at my desk. That's where I do a lot of my writing. And God meets me there every single time. And it is beautiful what he comes up with. You can choose to pray at your desk. You can choose to pray at your office, a prayer closet, by your bed, a special chair, the bathroom. I don't care where you got to go. But understand this, wherever you choose to meet regularly with God will become an altar of surrendered worship. Start small. Give God five minutes. He is just rejoicing because you are choosing to pursue him with intention. And believe me when I say, when you start a practice like this and you start small, God's going to cultivate this hunger and this thirst for him. And on the days that you miss, because you will, because we're human, I've missed days too, you feel it. You feel the hollowness of this world and how much God sustains you through it. Find a where and a when for prayer. Number two, prayer's a process. I kind of want to take the load off of all of us. If prayer feels overwhelming or intimidating, guess what? It's a process, and when you are in regular practice of figuring out your mojo in your process, you're going to find what works best for you. you. We are all created differently, which means we experience God in different ways. When we choose to follow Jesus, we become a disciple, and a disciple literally means a student of the one you're following. So we are constantly learning from Jesus here. And guess what that means? that we don't have all the answers, and that's okay. Jesus is big enough for our questions. The process gives us room to ask questions and to experiment and even to fail in our pursuits, and that's okay because processes allow us to learn. God does not demand perfection in our pursuits. He demands intention. There are a multitude of ways to pray. There's contending prayer, there's intercessory prayer, there's prayer journals, there's listening prayer, there's prayer postures, you name it. Figure out which one works for you and just try it out. And if it doesn't, move on. Try something different. This week on social media, I asked our congregation and and some of my friends, what is your prayer process? Here's some of the responses they gave to me to kind of inspire us here. Somebody said, reading scripture, writing down questions I have for my reading. I allow the questions to guide my time in prayer with God. Another person says, I really love to use the prayer list through the Bible app. It's been a great way to see God's faithfulness. I love this next one. I pray the Lord's Prayer every day before I get out of bed. I don't rush through it. I think about what each sentence means and how it can be uh, put me in the right mindset for the day. For me, 
Prayer's like having a phone line on speaker open with God all day. This last one, God meets me and reminds me to get outside. Out from under a roof, face the sun. He is all around us just waiting for us to turn to him. And I'm so thankful for um, the ladies that participated and shared their, their uh, processes with me because I'm just amazed of the different ways that we can encounter God and how he meets us. This is truly inspiring. And it finally guides me to our last point on prayer, and that prayer is a muscle. We need to work our salvation out like we work out our bodies. We experiment with the practices that work best for us, and we set the intention to commune with God, and we are creating a muscle memory within ourselves that allows us to operate in his authority because our hearts are aligned to God's will. Now, if you're looking to grow in your prayer practice, I think one of the best things to do is to do that in community. That's where we find accountability. That's where we get inspired from other people's processes. I, I'll let you know, I will never forget a time a couple years ago, I was out to coffee with a good friend of mine, and I was going through a really hard season personally, and a lot of hard stuff was happening in the world around me, and I was just really feeling down, and I remember looking her in the eye, and I said, do you really think prayer makes a difference? And she looked across at me, and she stared me in the eyes and said, heck yeah, it does. Get on your knees. And I said, okay. And I needed that. I needed that kick in the pants to get on my knees and pray. And I thank God every single day for community, for people who can speak God's truth into my life. Spiritual growth needs community, and there is an abundance of human resources in this room and in our White Oak congregation all together as a church. Let's encourage each other to pray and just actively be doing it together, guys. Prayer and accountability help us cultivate this practice of prayer so we can sharpen and refine one another by investigating what it is that God is doing in our life so that he can work through us. I want to close our time together today with a quote from Andrew Murray. He wrote this really great book on prayer. I highly recommend it. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And this quote really stuck with me throughout this reading it. it. He says, let us learn to give God time. God needs time with us. If we only give him time, that is, time in daily fellowship with himself, for him to exercise the full influence of his presence on us, and time day by day in the course of our being kept waiting, for faith to prove its reality and to fill our whole being. He himself will lead us from faith to vision. We shall see the glory of God. Let no delay shake our faith. Church, it's time to wake up. It's time to watch. It's time to pray. Time and prayer is time with God that transforms me. Let's pray together. Jesus, oh, we just thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we do not have to live this life alone. And God, I just pray a special anointing over everyone in this room. Father, you are doing something special in their life. And I ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us throughout this entire series and beyond. 
as you work your grace through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.